Hi everyone, my name is Darren Griffith and you're very welcome to the 8th episode of the LUSK Athletic Club podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in. The usual request, please like, share, follow and subscribe and encourage anyone that you think would be interested to tune in. We have some really great guests on this episode. We talk to Emmett Dunleavy about marathon training and we also meet LUSK AC ladies captain Sheila Burke. A quick plug... Everyone's invited to take part in the Lusk AC Summer Race, the Manowar Round. It's a 7k race taking place on the 17th of August at 7pm. So please visit My Run Results to register. Promises to be a great race and social event. Participants typically hang around for a drink after in the Manowar pub, uh, a pint even if you have a lift back home. So let's start with my interview with Emmett Dunleavy. So hi everyone, I'm really delighted that we have Emmett Dunleavy as a guest to talk about marathon training on our podcast. Emmett's a very well-known and respected running coach, as well of course being a serious runner, a former national novice and intermediate cross-country champion. He's the coach behind Perfect Pacing, which provides training plans, physiology tests and coaching for athletes. Emmett is also a coach at UCD and an Athletics Ireland High Performance Support Coach. So Emmett, you're a very busy man, clearly. Yeah, lots to keep me going. Brilliant. So uh, look here, thanks a minute for taking the time to, to come chat to us. We, we really appreciate it. Um, hey, look, before we, we get into running, uh, if it's okay, it'd be great to get a, an insight into the, the person behind the coach. So mm. a couple of handy questions, not, nothing uh, too tricky. But um, I mean, uh, how would your family and friends describe you? And then maybe how would the athletes that you train describe you? I guess you'd probably have to ask them. <laughs> uh, family and friends, I'd say all of them would probably say that I'm probably overly passionate at times about athletics. Um, it's probably something that I've been doing since since I was 11 or 12 years of age. I started out in community games and I just really had a grow for the sport. Love racing, love training, uh, love just being immersed in the whole thing. Um, and when I started out running, so I'm from Tremor West, small village in West Ligo, uh, like running was not very popular 25, 30 years ago. And I was literally the only runner from Bellana in Mayo the whole way to Sligo. I mean, and that's not an exaggeration. Sure. Nobody else ran. And then over the years, it's so I suppose when I was younger and I was at home, all my mates would have known me as the runner <laughs> uh, because I was the only one doing it. And then, yeah, as, as time passed, it's funny. So many of them have kind of crossed over to running over the years as well. And it's, uh, yeah, running has become a lot more normalised in the last 25 or 30 years. Good stuff. Good stuff. Passionate about running. That sounds good. That's a... Uh... That's important. Um, and look, you mentioned how you got into running. And uh, so how did you get into coaching then? Because you were in investment banking, I, I read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bit of research, but yeah. Took a, it's funny, I was just walking in here today. I was walking through some, by some of the places where I used to work. So I worked in investment banking for nearly 10 years. Uh, I was with Bank of Ireland and then with State Street. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of a coincidence. I was between jobs. Um, I'd gone to a new company and the, the, the job had fallen through. Done a little bit of coaching, then I was coaching one or two guys, um, and then yeah, it just kind of went from there. I just I, I was actually out after the Dublin Marathon one night, and at that time, and I was chatting to about five or six people who were all being coached by a guy online in the states. And I was like, Do you know, maybe there's a a way that I could actually combine my passion with actually making a living from this as well. And yeah, I kind of took off from there. So initially, I started just coaching uh, club athletes and people running marathons, and then yeah, as we started getting a little bit more success. The group that I started to coach got bigger and then, yeah, as a result of that, we started picking up a couple of faster athletes over the years as well. So it's kind of a combination of, of uh, club runners and, and elite, elite runners now. Brilliant. Great stuff. Um, and then um, in terms of, this is like an interview question, mm. but you are being interviewed in a sense, but not for a job. In terms of like kind of coaching philosophy, that's a, is that a tricky one or do you, um, do you have a soundbite on that? Prep, I or? don't really have a soundbite <laughs> on it, but I guess if anyone knows me, I'm pretty conservative uh, and I think... The, probably the biggest mistake I see athletes making is they're trying to do too much fast stuff too often. Uh, and over the years, I suppose I'd always veered towards doing more aerobic type work. A lot of that would have been influenced from my own coach, Jerry Kernan, um, who would have had a huge influence on in what I'd done. And I suppose as the years have gone on and I've seen more science, more physiology, I've probably kept dialing it back and dialing it back. And even to the point where last week I, I was at a talk with a guy, Jan Albrecht, who's a Belgian physiologist, who's probably one of the, the world leaders in terms of physiology. And again, even I came out of that thinking, I probably need to dial things back a bit, little bit further. And I think we'll probably get into it in terms of for marathon runners later yeah. on. Um, that's probably the key takeaway is, is, is a lot of it, 90% of it is just easy running. Yeah. The, the, the extra five or 10%, which is not insignificant, 
um, we tend to spend an awful lot of time fussing over the 5 or 10% at the end where we can get an awful lot of the way by simply easy conversational pace running. Great stuff. Sounds good. Um, so I thought we'd kick off in terms of like discussing marathon training. If we could maybe uh, kind of list the key training sessions, like your take on them, because there's a little mm. bit of variability out there. Um, yeah, that'd be great if you could do that, please. Yeah, well, I guess... When I get, and at least, in, and they're in the last sort of ten to twelve weeks, which is the key phase building into a marathon, is it's really down to two hard days per week. So you've got your long run at the weekend, uh, which is generally your Saturday or Sunday run. Um, I would always treat that as a workout because it's it, the duration is long, the intensity might be very high, but when you take the the duration that you're out there for, um, there's a there's a big cost attached to that. So you need to respect it as a as a standalone workout. And then the second workout, which would be early in the week, so it might be Tuesday or Wednesday night. Um, once you're inside that final marathon specific phase I'd be looking very much marathon pace type work so that would progress from maybe like depending on, on, on what level you're at so it might, I usually work in minutes rather than in miles because it's more applicable across the board so it might start off at maybe 5 by 5 minutes or 5 by 6 minutes at your target marathon pace or marathon effort and then that will graduate to sort of you know it could be up to 5 by 8 or 5 by 9 or maybe even 5 by 10 minutes in, in the key weeks 2 or 3 outs from the mar- two weeks out, 2 or 3 weeks out from the marathon itself so it's gradually progressing it, but probably the biggest factor with marathon training is managing the load, is the miles that you do in that last four to six weeks uh, before a marathon tend to be for most people, that's the, the most miles that they run in a week at any stage during the year. You've got to get to that point safely. Um, so it's building the load gradually, and most of the other running that you're doing in between is simply timing your feet. It's got to be well-fueled, you've got to be recovering well, you've got to be allowing for your lifestyle, particularly if you're, you know, if you're busy with work and kids and school and college whatever it might be which is unfortunately a factor for all of us we've got all of these things going on but you need to factor that in as well um so it's, it's training load is is as important as the actual specifics of any any particular workout there's no there's no key workout i would say um it's just building gradually and, and cautiously over time okay good stuff so the long run is is, is definitely a session in inverted commas yeah so i yeah. suppose the way that i treat the long run is every second week we go one week we could just go long and easy um, and then the following week would probably go a little bit shorter, but with a bit of quality in it. So for an example, it might be, let's say, 17 miles straight one week. And then the following week, we might come back to, say, 15 or 16 miles with the first seven miles easy and the last eight miles is a mile at marathon pace, a mile easy, and just mix in a little bit of marathon specific. So, so there's a bit more quality in it, but the duration is a little bit less. And then obviously that builds up then further as you get closer to race day. Great stuff. Um... Okay, super. So in terms of kind of marathon training plans, and you might have touched on, on this a little bit already, but and this is something I was curious about, like how would a modern day plan differ from one you might have offered or even used yourself four or five years ago? Like, has there been many advancements? Yeah, and, and probably goes back to what I just said, that yeah. it's been a bit more conservative. Um, the more I've seen of, like even high level athletes uh, of their training, and really, I, I was lucky enough to be mentored by Steve Vernon, who's at, he's the head of high performance with UK Athletics Endurance now. Um, and at Lex Ireland had me had Steve as a mentor for me for two or three years, and it was brilliant. I learned a huge amount of him, and it was great to see somebody who was coaching athletes at a very high level. And he really went into the weeds in terms of what they were doing. And every time I looked at it, it was like this is so simple. It, it's really just running miles, um, and there was workouts in there, but like marathon pace workouts aren't very difficult. Like they would do maybe top guys maybe doing eight by a mile or nine by a mile at marathon pace, which you know isn't it's basically like eight by five minutes. Yeah. It's not a very hard session at marathon, if it's at your proper marathon effort. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of it was just, like I said, getting the volume in there. Now, they were probably running 110, 120 mile a week. So that's one factor of it. But they were doing all of this very conservatively. And, and the more I've seen over the years is I've seen less aggression in the training and more of a conservative approach. Get to the start line fit and healthy rather than constantly trying to find proof in training of what sort of shape you're in. People are good analogy of this that I heard a few weeks back was it's like if you, you're given a recipe to bake a cake and you've been given all the ingredients the cake's in the oven but you're constantly opening the oven door to see is it ready yet and like when you go to do those sort of key workouts like sort of 16 miles at marathon pace and stuff like that all you're doing is opening the oven door to see is it ready yet rather than just leaving it be and let it let it be ready on race day um, and yeah it's, it's just I, I guess with all the stuff I've seen I think less aggression in, in, in your training and get to the starting line fit and healthy is probably the the key way of approach in the last couple of weeks. Brilliant, and uh, we see we're, we're covering off the, the following questions perfectly as well. But I, I, I <laughs> like we we'll go to this one a little bit. But um, in in terms of like, you know, say if you have an athlete uh, that you're coaching, 
and they have a tendency to beat the session. Like, how, how does that mm. conversation go? Are you hitting them with the science or...? or? Uh, there's a bit of carrot and a bit of stick, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, with, with people that I coach on a one-to-one basis, and particularly the hiring guys, like, I'm, I'm dealing with them pretty closely. We'd have testing done with them on a regular, ba- well, reasonably regular basis. Um, and say at the very top end guys, I try and, and take lactates from them during sessions as well. So we monitor everything in terms of heart rates and paces and lactates quite closely. Um, the heart rates are a great indicator in terms of are you going too fast? So when I provide people with say, let's say an eight by a mile session, we would look at it in terms of heart rate and pace. So it's not just a case of do eight by a mile at six minute mile or five minute mile and whatever it might be. It's like you've got to have the heart rate in, in this particular zone. And let's say that heart rate is between 155 and 160. If you're halfway through the session and your heart rate is up above 160, up to 165, you don't even need to take lactates. You know if somebody's heart rate has drifted high, they're, they're working too hard. And a good example of this was actually last Saturday morning we were on the track in UCD. We were doing some fairly steady threshold stuff with the guys, but it was warm. It was really warm last weekend and the heart rates were going high. And then we double checked that with the lactates and the lactates were way higher than what we wanted. And so did you pull that, that session back straight away? Yeah, then? so we, yeah. we were meant to pick it up in the second half of it. And for most of them, it was just a case of just keep the pace the same. You're already working hard enough. Okay. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's, and, and like with club athletes that I don't see face to face, um, a lot of them would know where their heart rate zones are. So they would check in once a week and would look at their stuff on Strava or Garmin Connect and be able to see, I'd be able to see where their heart rates are. And then you kind of, yeah, tweak things and adjust it as you go along. But ultimately, you probably need those benchmarks or the base marks in terms of where your training zones are first of all so yeah. that's probably one of the things you so, need to kind someone of told out. me that uh, horizontal straight lines are good in terms of your pace and your heart rate and, and if you look at your garment stat yeah. does that time maybe what you're saying or yeah what you not find, too much variability or yeah what you find is when somebody is really working hard through a session is you get what's known as cardiac drift so you're, you're holding the same pace but the heart rate is drifting higher and higher and higher and you'd often find particularly say the warm weather that we're having at the minute you could see even somebody on an easy run you could see something like maybe 15, 20, or maybe even 25 beats of an increase towards the end of every a long run than where they were at the beginning. And that's just the body trying to deal with the conditions. Um, I think anybody who ran Cork on Sunday, Cork Marathon, which was last weekend, would have experienced that quite a bit. Like they, they had to deal with very unseasonal heat. And you would, if you looked at their heart rates, you would see probably a drop in pace, but an increase in heart rate. And, yeah. Combine that with common sense would tell you they were working pretty hard. Yeah, and there, and there was quite, quite a few uh, people who ran it for the first time. Mm. Was it their first marathon or their first half? And they were disappointed on the day. Yeah. And maybe didn't have the experience to go, well, actually, it was the, the temperatures, the heat, like really. Yeah, because. Yeah, and, and give themselves a pat on the back, like, you know, they yeah. did a great job. Yeah, because yeah, unfortunately, like, all bets are off when you turn up at marathon day and it's really warm. Because uh, I had three athletes that I was coaching and I just sent them an email the night before. So, look, you need to forget about pace tomorrow and. and and dial everything back by sort of probably 10, 15, maybe even 20 seconds a mile. But you need to go by feel rather than yeah. rather than chasing a time on the watch. Um, and unfortunately, it's, it's annoying when you put in four months of work or five months of work into a marathon and you turn up and it's really warm, but you're never going to, nobody's going to run. Even Kipchoge's not going to run as fast yeah. as time. I suppose the, like the only thing is, if, you, if you're an elite, it turns into a race then. Exactly. Whereas if you're a, an average runner like, like myself, you had a time in mind, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's disappointing for everybody. Um, because like, I mean, if you a lot of if you look at say the take the Kipchoge or any of your elite athletes example, like they run their fastest times in perfect conditions in Berlin when the the it's mid teens in terms of heat, the humidity is probably 50 60 percent. All these things are perfect, no wind. Uh, you turn up to Cork, start of June, and it's 22 degrees, and the humidity was probably 80 85 yeah, percent. Yeah totally different ball game we'll and, you, and people have to allow for that because people are very harsh on themselves yeah yeah they just think okay i've done the training i need to run the time now but yeah oh, i hate meeting someone after a race when they're disappointed yeah <laughs> I, I think i'm hyper empathetic or something but um all right great stuff um just then in terms of indicators of marathon pace so look soon enough people are going to be thinking about dcm for example mm. and they're going to be setting their paces and picking their plans etc um hopefully with good advice from their coaches of course but uh, so what's kind of the best indicators of a marathon target pace? So I guess there's two ways of coming at it. Is First of all, is looking at your race performances leading in. So you can use any of the calculators. There's uh, The ones that I use would be the Tin Man calculator and Macmillan calculator. Yeah. You'd find them online. Uh, and basically plugging in your race performance over the shorter distance and see what that spits out for your longer distance. Now, the thing you've got to keep in mind with that, and this is what a lot of people who are relatively new 
or not that experienced with the longer distances is you'll find as you go up the distance and particularly as you get to the marathon is it's harder to hit those times. So to give you an example, three hour marathon runner should be running around 18 and a half minutes for 5k. They should be running around about sort of low 38s for 10k. Um, I think it's around about 124 for a half marathon. So what you would find is if somebody was hitting the 1830 for five, hitting the 38 minutes for 10, but let's say they were hitting 126 or 127 for a half marathon, that would suggest their endurance is probably lacking a little bit. Yeah. So when you go up to the marathon, the likelihood of that person hitting sub three hours is, is a lot less. Then if you had the opposite scenario, you get some people who have brilliant endurance, might struggle to hit 19 minutes for 5K, might hit 37, 38 for the 10, but would row, maybe say run 122 for a half. You would expect that person is getting relatively stronger as they go up, they might run closer to 255 for the full marathon. So yeah, yeah. It's, that's the first way of analyzing it in terms of the calculators. And the second thing then, I suppose the gold standard is, is physiology testing, is that if you know where your lactates are, and that, that's like not everybody's gonna get into a lab to get tested um, in the build-up to a marathon, but ultimately that's probably the best way of getting of gauging where you're at. Yeah. Uh, and you're looking for the lactate at around, around, around about two millimole of lactate is, is kind of where you, what correlates to marathon pace. So say for some of our elites, we, we would test them in the sort of last two or three weeks before a key marathon um, and see where they're at over longer reps. So maybe 2K, 3K reps, are they kind of sitting on that two millimole of lactate? And if they are, then I would suggest then that is, uh, th that's their target pace in the early stages. There's still no guarantees with it. Like there's always that massive unknown when you go to the marathon. Uh, like once you go beyond 15 and certainly once you go beyond 20 miles there's that's when you really find out what's going to happen we but, have to dig in <laughs> yeah but as we were saying earlier like the, the testing and, and all of that it doesn't tell you what you can do but it does it tells you what you can't do so if you're if your lactates or your heart rates are way too high at certain paces which you thought was your marathon pace then that that pace is just ultimately not feasible so you need to kind of dial it back in terms of your ambitions a little bit Brilliant. So in terms of the lactate testing, could you tell us a little bit about the practical test itself, like the, how it's yeah. undertaken? And, and so, I, I know it's offered by Perfect Pacing, isn't it, for example? Yeah, so yeah. We, we usually do it outdoors. Now, there's two ways you can do it. So you can do it indoors in a, lot, in, in a lab on a treadmill. And there's a lot of the plenty of places around the country that offer that. Um, the stages are usually at the three, four or five minute stages. So you would probably do about five to six stages of five to six minutes duration, for example. And then... Each of those, you're tracking where the heart rate is and where the lactate is. And you're kind of starting from very low level up to the last rep is pretty much all out. Uh, so you can do that indoors. Um, and then we would do the same idea, but we do it outdoors on the track. Just a personal preference for me. I prefer doing it on the track. The only thing if you're doing it outdoors is you're at the mercy of the weather. So if you get a windy day, unfortunately, you've got to postpone it. But again, it's five to six reps of five to six minutes duration. Um, starting from your very easy pace up to pretty much sort of, you're probably close to nearly 5k pace towards the end. Um, and again, charting where those paces and, and lactates and heart rates are along the way. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great thing for, I think, for any athlete to get done at least once because it gives you an idea, and especially if you use heart rate, it gives you an idea of where your heart rate zones and where your training zones are. And it point, pinpoints as well if there's any aspect of your physiology that needs attention. Um, very often you can, you can learn as much from the early stages of a test as you can from the end, as you know from where the lactates are in the very early stages, how well developed somebody is on the aerobic side. Probably, yeah, I was just uh, thinking maybe, that because your two, your two millimole will be down before LT1, is it? Or, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's basically like the first point where you begin to see a rise in lactate. Um, and even before that point is like how low the lactate is when you're just at jogging pace will give you an indication of where somebody is uh, in terms of their, yeah, they're just a general aerobic condition. Like you'd find with elite athletes, they could be down at 0 0.5, 0 0.6 when they're jogging. Um, whereas if it's somebody who's quite inexperienced, they might be already up at two or 2.5 when they're only at jogging pace. So for that person, they just need to spend time easy running and get and develop yeah. that, that basic engine first of all, before they go worrying about the faster stuff yeah. further up the curve. Yeah, I have a good, I have a good friend uh, I run with and he's done his lactate threshold test. Uh, so he has his data. He's going to run Berlin this year. So how far out from Berlin, for example, should he maybe do another one that might give him a sharper indication but no definites mm. of, of his marathon pace or, um, or what he's what's achieved potentially achievable in, in an ideal scenario you're probably somewhere in the last four four weeks but yeah. people often ask when they get a test done is when when do i get retested and i look i mean if everyone could get into a lab every three months great but realistically i don't see the need to be getting back in for testing unless you feel your your shape has moved on quite a bit yeah so like if you've gone from i don't know from 310 down to sort of 255 or three hours for a marathon or, or you feel like you've moved on that much then it might be getting the zones recalibrated um 
but yeah, it's a case of when you've when you've moved on fitness wise. So have your PBs improved significantly, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. get the zones recalibrated. Um, but like in that marathon example, like if time and everything else was not an issue, yeah, maybe inside the last four weeks you can you can dial in your 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 potential marathon target pace off that. Sounds good. Um, okay, great. Um, actually, coming back very briefly to the Macmillan calculator, I was on it today. Good. But it's 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 mad that it only takes one kind of. Uh, race time mm. touching on what you said like if you could put in a fast one and maybe say, let's say a, a four mile race time and, and then a half yeah that gives you a, a kind of more data to it really does. predict the marathon pace or, yeah but um yeah no it's a there's an app idea there for you there you go yeah <laughs> yeah because uh, nearly all the calculators just take one time yeah and then like i mean say the macmillan one extrapolates everything from 400 meters up to 100 miles yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to be putting in a 400 meter time yeah. to give you your potential 100 mile time at the end or 100k yeah, whatever it might be, be but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah like, I find them really useful yeah uh, oh, no, 100 because they, they dial in your ambitions very quickly yeah, because yeah. you think okay I ran a good 5k and you, you look out towards the marathon sometimes it's not quite as, <laughs> as fast as, rosy as, as, as you would like, like to have thought great stuff here I've, I have been following you on Strava um, <laughs> I tend to stalk people before I, I uh, no interview them but, yeah exactly yeah but yeah you're, you're you're definitely keen on a bit of cross training or, or either that or you just love cycling <laughs> so yeah what are, what are your thoughts on cross training in general or um yeah i suppose i've been forced into cross training over okay. the last couple of years uh with injuries but uh yeah generally speaking cross training is, is is really useful for runners and it's probably underutilized by a lot of people and I suppose more so if you're injury prone, if you're somebody who's more susceptible to niggles and injuries than, than others. And like some people are very robust naturally, so they don't need to worry about cross training. You can throw a lot of mileage at them and, and they never break down. But others would be of the, I suppose you're predisposed to picking stuff up. You might have a natural weakness in the calf or, or that lower limb. Um, and in those scenarios, using cross training is, is, is a really useful way of, of just getting that exposure to aerobic training. So I suppose the way I would use it was I'd get people to do their workouts and their hard runs or long runs in, in the running discipline. And then if you need to supplement that with cross training, great. Um, like ultimately, the best form of training for a runner is to run. So if you can do the mileage, I, I'd, I'd say stick with it, stay running. There's no point in going out on the bike or on an elliptical trainer if you don't need to. But yeah. if you have to use it, don't be afraid to use it. And, and let's say even some of our athletes would, would um, who do double days might do a run in the morning for an hour and then might just go on the elliptical or on the bike in the evening. Um, so it gives them an extra 30 or 40 minutes of aerobic work during the day, but it's not, they're not having to get too hard runs in as such. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, it's brilliant to use, use it where you need it. Um, but don't feel like you need to be adding, adding extra cross training just for the sake yeah. of it either. Like say if you'd, you'd lined up a recovery run and you were just like, oh, I'm wrecked. This just feels like it's going to be counterproductive. Mm. If I set out, just jump on the bike for half an hour if it feels easier. Yeah. Just every so often. Eh? And don't be afraid to take a rest either. If, yeah. you're, if you are feeling really tired, um, you know, make that decision to, to take the rest day. Um, yeah. I think I heard a great quote from uh, Dick Hooper uh, one time. Dick was a hard man for running miles and most people would know him from Rahini and he said to the lads one day, if you take the monumental decision to take one day off, you might as well take two. <laughs> So I think it's a good rule of thumb. Like, don't be afraid to take that day off. And yeah, if you yeah. feel like you need a second day off, don't be afraid to take it either. Because um, like, if you're feeling really tired, it might be an indication. You just need a bit more rest. Yeah. Now, the cross training is great as well. If your legs are sore and, and you're you, a little bit achy, yeah. it's a good way of just getting a little bit of blood flow and you can feel great after something like that. But um, yeah, sometimes as runners, we're all guilty of looking towards the sort of mileage total at the end of the week and thinking, well, if I miss this run, I'm only going to be have X number of miles for the, the week. The mileage total at the end of the week is it's just arbitrary. It's, yeah. it's 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 how you get there and how you how you move beyond it. Good stuff. It's more important. Um, I know you you have tune up races in in some of your your marathon plans. I was mm. on, on your website, so you obviously think they're important. Could yeah. you talk around that a little bit? Yeah. So I guess I think they're like say for anyone who's building up to Dublin, what we use is the Dublin Marathon Race Series. So they've got that. Well, basically you start from July and then it goes to the 10k in July you've got the 10 mile in August you've got the half marathon in September and then the marathon then uh, in obviously in October and I suppose going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with the calculators is that after each of those races you can plug the performance into the calculator and it's giving you another piece of data in terms of like where is my potential marathon pace going to be so um, you would like to see that as the distances go up, you're hitting those numbers, yeah. like be that for sub three or sub four or whatever it might be. So they are really important and they're yeah. good checks along the way. 
The thing with a marathon is you don't need to be sharp, so you don't need to be doing races all that regularly. Uh, it, ultimately, it's it's an aerobic event, so you don't. It's not like doing a five k or a three k or fifteen hundred meters in the track where you need tune up races to be sharp and ready to okay. go. Marathon is different in that you just need to be fit. Um, and the other thing to avoid is avoid doing hard race too close to marathon day. Um, so we try and keep the the half marathon at least six weeks back from the marathon itself. Um, and it's it's mainly because like a half marathon race takes a lot out. Yeah. It takes a good week to 10 days to properly recover from it. So what we normally do is after those races is take a very, very easy week afterwards. So because if even people who are running six or seven times a week might take two full rest days in the following week afterwards, the runs, which might normally be 60 or 70 minutes, might dial back to 30 to 40 minutes. So there's like a 50% drop in volume, no workouts, extra rest days, fully absorb what you've done in that race and then freshen up for that last Brilliant. sort of five or six week block into the yeah. marathon itself. Would you have a small taper into the, say for example, a half yeah, marathon yeah. tune-up? Yeah, so we do a sort of light enough session early that week and then the, the mileage for the last three days would kind of taper off ever so slightly. Um, but it's, I suppose it's something I've learned over the years as well is the, the, the hard half marathon really takes a lot out on it. I suppose you learn to respect it when you see athletes who, are, who take longer to recover. And then if, if that's too close to marathon day, you can very often leave a lot of your, your actual marathon behind you in the half marathon, which is nice if you run a PE, but ultimately people want to run well <laughs> not, in marathon. Yeah, it's not their primary goal. Yeah, for the sure. half marathon, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so moving on to race day, um, and we did touch on this a little bit, and we referenced Cork. I mean, so I was going to ask, should you adjust your target pace? Obviously you should if the conditions <laughs> are harsh. Um, is there any little rule of thumb on that, or it's... it's it's hard to say. I guess general rule of thumb in terms of temperatures and humidity is once the temperature goes above 15 or 16 degrees and the humidity is quite high, which it tends to be all the time in Ireland. I don't think we appreciate that. It tends to be sort of 85, 80, 85% a lot of the time. Once you've got high humidity and the temperature is over 15 or 16 degrees, you really need to start adjusting your target times. Um, and I suppose the higher the temperature, then the more of an adjustment you need to make to it. Um, I mean, going back to Dublin, was it 2016 or 2017? It was really warm and humid. Um, and I suppose there was a bit of a breeze and people didn't appreciate how humid it actually was. And we were standing over here at the start in, in Marion Square, or in Fitzwilliam Square. And, and Jerry Cairn turned around and he I was standing with Jerry at the time and he said, uh, there's going to be carnage out here today. And, and like, it, right. it was pretty scary. We were out at 25 miles watching people coming in. Like, and it's, it's not nice. No, it's not nice. It, it, and, and Dublin last year was kind of similar as well. Um, so yeah you, that's the sort of benchmark is once temperatures go above that and humidity is high you need to start adjusting things yeah. um, and then there's an element of some people handle heat better than others uh, and one thing I suppose we've used with a lot of our runners to try and get ready for if they're racing in warm conditions is using sauna exposure and warm bath exposure for the sort of 10 days before the race so that would be a case of doing your training session and, and ideally getting into a sauna for 15 to 20 minutes or alternatively a warm bath um, if you don't have the access to a sauna and just literally you're getting an awful lot of the adaptations from that that you would two or three weeks in a warm climate so it's it's getting your body used to that uh, your very elevated core temperature before you go into the sauna and then just being able to cope with that and, yeah. and it helps you then on race day so oh. if you're somebody who struggles with warm temperatures that would be a good thing that's to do. a great tip yeah yeah um, I have a I have a polytunnel. I was telling the lads I'd let them All right. <laughs> come along after the run. That's the poor man's version of the song. Yeah. <laughs> I fit plenty of them in. Yeah, <laughs> more than in the bath anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so what else do I have? Um, how do you prepare your athletes for the mental challenges of race day? I guess a lot of it comes down. To, I think an awful lot of the mental side of it comes down to confidence in your training, and that if they're hitting the numbers, paces, heart rates, whatever it might be in training then you know they're ready. Um, you, you can't bluff those. So like if you're hitting the numbers in training and, and like, I don't know, if you're targeting that sub three hours again, go back to that example and you're hitting your 4.16k or 7.53 per mile and your heart rate is nice and steady. I think ultimately most of your confidence in terms of the mental prep works, it comes from that. Is it know you've trained well and you're ready to go. And then it's just a case of, I suppose, reiterating that coming closer to racing because everybody panics on race week, particularly a marathon because you know, people have put a lot of preparation for months on end into it. Um, it's a big day and it's one of the few races where everyone in the family gets involved. They're all chipping in with a bit of advice in the last couple of days. Um, and people feel pressure. They've had to put up with you for the last They've two weeks. Yeah, they've had to put up with the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the tantrums in the last two weeks, the taper tantrums as well. But um, 
Yeah, it, it can be tricky to, to get used to it. Uh, like because people take an interest in the marathon more than they do in a in a in a five k yeah. or ten k, so but it's all part of it. Pressure is good. That's yeah, that's yeah. the whole. If there was no pressure and it wasn't taking you out of your comfort zone, it wouldn't be worthwhile. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, this is one I've come up with. Uh, I can't get my head around the concept of a negative split. Right. <laughs> I know it's a simple concept, but uh, like I mean, it must take serious discipline for your average runner, does it? Well, it comes. I think a lot of it comes back to the confidence from your training as well. Yeah. Um, and I think you need to execute one or two negative splits and see what they feel like and, and how successful it can be to get the confidence in, in yourself to, to, to go and, and have manners in the early stage of a race. Yeah. Like be that over any distance. Um, and time and time again, over every distance, I see there's people who start out slow um, and not, not ridiculously slow. You're not jogging off the starting yeah. line, but just have that bit of manners in the early stages of the race and, and be confident in your ability that when the hurt comes on at three quarters of the way through, that you've got the work done to be able to handle that and, you've, and you're able to actually pick up and, and, and close quickly as well because yeah. you'd be amazing like in the last K or a mile uh, particularly over 5 or 10K if you're still you know if you're still quite relatively fresh you, you can do serious damage and pull back a huge amount of time um, so yeah it's, it, it could be hard to get your head around uh, but once you do it once or twice and, and you, the, the other side apart from the fact that you can, you're seeing good numbers and that your, your splits are coming up on your watch and everything is good is if you're hitting a good negative split particularly in a marathon is you're slicing through the field you're passing people and there's a and, and there's a real good, momentum to that yeah. as, as going forward as opposed to even holding steady but as opposed to going the opposite direction yeah, and you're yeah. going backwards and everybody is going by you so um, yeah it, it takes a bit of bit of Experience. Get your head around, yeah, yeah. And, and, but once you do a good one once, you'll you'll you'll, you'll see the benefits of it. Good stuff. Maybe this year we'll, we'll yeah. give it a bash. I think Barry Smith, um, who does a lot of uh, research in UCD, I don't, people might be familiar with some of Barry's work. He does an awful lot of research on Strava times yeah. from uh, from big city marathons. Yeah, and I think he said it was sixteen percent of people run a negative split. It could be even less than that, but I think it's sixteen percent. So it's a very small percentage of the field. And that's across all of the major global marathons. Yeah. So like serious discipline to do yeah. it. And if I've got that wrong, Barry, you can uh, correct me at <laughs> yeah. some night. Well I, I attended the online seminar last year it was excellent with all the Strava data. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that was probably Barry. Um okay, uh, I have a few last quick fire questions because I don't want to hold you too much longer, but um and these were gifted to me by teammates. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, in advance of meeting you. But um any thoughts on running 16 miles at target pace prior to the marathon? That's probably three or four weeks out. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't times. be a fan of it. Yeah. Um, something we have done with some of our athletes is we would do 12 or 13 miles at target marathon pace. But that would be very much for the top end uh, elite guys. Um, and I would only do that once. So, my, and again, this is personal opinion. Everybody's got different ways of doing yeah. things. I would be reluctant to go doing 16 miles at marathon pace. Um, I know a lot of people will go to say the three quarter marathon which is about a month out from Dublin and I suppose again just anecdotally I would say it's a great event use it as part of your preparation and, and, and as, a, as a sort of a, an easier sort of steadyish long run but I would be reluctant to go running 16 or in that case 19 miles at marathon pace yeah. because you, you're getting a fitness benefit to it but you're also taking a lot out and it, like I said earlier you're, it takes time to recover from that so um, yeah I'd be inclined to to, to to dial that back. Okay, perfect. Um, tempo runs, uh, would you recommend to them as one continuous run or break into blocks? So that depends on the athlete. So if you're, uh, people might be familiar with fast twitch and slow twitch athletes. So all of us are kind of on a spectrum in terms of sprinters would be very much predominantly fast twitch fibers. So uh, whereas, you know, the pure marathon runner would be predominantly slow twitch fibers. Most of us are somewhere in between, but um, where you sit on that spectrum will dictate whether which is best for you. So if you're if you're that real diesel engine, very much a marathon runner, you know, you nearly come out in a rash at the thought of doing a 5K. For that type of an athlete, continuous tempo runs are, are preferable. But for most of us, you're better off breaking it into intervals. So some of the sessions that I mentioned earlier is maybe like five by seven minutes, five by eight minutes. Um, or even we do something like sort of, sort of like three by 15 or even three by 20 minutes sometimes as well but breaking it up into intervals because if you're slightly more on the fast switch end of the spectrum there's chance that your lactate is beginning to rise and by breaking stuff into intervals you're giving the lactate a chance to drop back down again so instead of, instead of a continuous drift that you're breaking it down and you're getting giving yourself two minutes to recover get the lactate down a little bit again and then and, and it's just less of an overall so it's, a quality, you know, it's a continuously good quality session is it exactly yeah because yeah. yeah. you find if you've got a 
I suppose a good example would be if there's a track athlete, somebody who was a good 5K or maybe 1500 moving up to the marathon. They've obviously had good speed from their days on the track. They work much better off interval stuff than they do off continuous tempo runs when they move up to the marathon. So, yeah. uh, And if you are doing the continuous tempo runs, then they need to be uh, a little bit more controlled in terms of pace. So I, I usually prescribe them maybe sitting back 15, 20 seconds a mile off your target marathon pace. Uh, so you're still running steady, um, but it's just probably less of an overall fatigue load afterwards. Yeah. Okay, great stuff. Does that makes um, sense. And then in terms of weekly mileage, does that depend on target pace? Is there a rule of thumb? I know, again, yeah. it's a tricky one. Yeah, it, it, it all depends. Yeah. The great coach's answer, it depends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it depends on where you're... Like, rather than looking at your mileage versus somebody else, it's kind of think, well, where's my mileage versus where it was six months ago or 12 months ago? And am I doing a little bit more now? And am I getting a better return off that? Am I running faster? Um, and I suppose... With any athlete, you're looking for sort of minimum effective doses. What's the amount, the lowest amount of running I can do and still progress off it? And then when you begin to plateau, first thing yeah, you, for most of us to add in is a little bit extra mileage. So that might be for some people going from five days a week of training up to six. If you're already somebody who runs six days a week, then maybe adding in some double days um, and just bringing the mileage up that way or maybe bigger long runs or something like that. But mileage is something that you, it's very much tailored to the individual um, and there's no one size fits all. Yeah. But again going back to some of the the stuff that we've seen from the data analysis from Strava is the more miles you do that definitely correlates with a better marathon finishing time for endurance yeah. events now it doesn't mean you go blindly chasing 100 mile weeks yeah. you've got to get there slowly over months and years um, but yeah I mean the more mileage you do the better but it's got to be done in a, in a very controlled way yeah okay and then um, how was your trip to Iten in Kenya Great. Yeah. It's uh I've been there seven times, I think. Seven times. I used to times. train there when I was when I was an athlete myself. Okay. Uh hadn't been there in a few years. This is the first time I went back there uh with the I've coaching our group was over there. So they'd been there the last two or three years in January. So it's a nice time to go to go there because the weather it's on the equator, so the weather is pretty much the same all year round. Um but it's it's an absolute mecca for distance runners. Like it's a small village in Iten is probably about I mean you could have somewhere between five hundred and eight hundred athletes living in in a village. Um, and as soon as you go out, there's just runners everywhere, um, especially early in the morning, six, seven o'clock in the morning. Um, no distractions, very simple lifestyle. Um, even if you want to get up to mischief, there's nothing to actually get up to, <laughs> so, which is perfect for an athlete. Um, and it's just it's just a really simple, I mean, eat, sleep, train. That's all you do for two yeah. or three weeks continuously. Um, the altitude is brilliant because it's two and a half thousand meters above sea level. So it really bites the first week, like even walking up steps. You're really yeah, yeah. finding yourself catching a breath, which for, for a runner is quite unusual when yeah, you're walking yeah. up steps but, <laughs> um, themselves in their fitness. but uh, yeah no it's a, it's a brilliant place and um, is there a serious bounce then in terms of your fitness when you come back or yeah so if you get your full three weeks up there you really notice a difference when you come back down um, the, the big thing when you go to altitude is you've got to manage the intensity very carefully because yeah. your body is under an awful lot more pressure um, like your paces up there could be somewhere between depending on the athlete probably 20 to 30 seconds per mile slower than it would be at sea level which is a lot yeah. um, so you've got like even so our, our faster guys went up there in their, their first week they're running at sort of 7.40 to 8 minutes per mile, which for athletes who are running 13-odd minutes, 14-odd minutes for 5K, is they're going easy. But then you see the Kenyans running around it on their easy runs at 8-minute mile, 5 yeah. minutes a K. And these are guys who are running 2.10 for a marathon, yeah, or yeah. even if women running 2.20, 2.25. They're not afraid to go slow. Yeah. But again, going back to like the volume that we talked about, they're doing big volume with this as well. So there's, um, yeah, there's, a, there's a trade-off. But yeah, if anyone ever gets a chance to go, if you're, if you're a runner, it's, it's the ultimate place to spend a couple of weeks. Sounds great. Sounds great. Um, look, would, um, would you like to add anything or point actually point people in the direction of your, your website, for example, Perfect Pacing? Yeah, so perfectpacing.com is the website. And if anyone is doing Dublin, we've got a marathon program that kicks off on the 3rd of July. So it's, it's, we do a 17-week build-up. And I suppose even though that only the last 10 or 12 weeks of that are marathon-specific, uh, we like to do a sort of a lead-in for the first four or five weeks because it, it allows people to get their find their feet in terms of the type of training that we do. It allows us to get one or two shorter distance races into the program will include like the Fingal 10K, which is part of the Dublin race series. Um, and then that allows us to calibrate the training paces then for your for your marathon specific stuff. So, yeah, if anyone's interested, um, 
the yeah, registration is open. So get on the website. Get on the website. And they yeah. can get on at, at 11, 12 weeks out. Um, yeah, we had a couple of people joined in, uh, had, had the panic button around 12 weeks out last year and came in. Uh, but we've got, like, I do the run inside, but obviously Colin Griffin, uh, which many people, many people will be familiar with, does the strength and conditioning. So he yeah. does a full S&C program. And then Evan Lynch looks after the nutrition side. So you're kind of all, we try to cover all bases. And I suppose the way we do it is it's, it's not just a training plan. It's we try and educate people. So we have, a, we have a coaching call every week where we go through the week's training, but we'll also cover something, an aspect of training. So it might be heart rates, it might be gels, it might be the super shoes, depending on which, so we cover something different every week as well. So there's a, there's a few different parts to it. Yeah, sounds great. Covering all bases with the nutrition and the strength and conditioning. Yeah, super. Yeah. Um, well, look, Emmett, I mean, just to say thanks very much for taking the time to share your expertise. Uh, the very best of luck with your coaching to all the athletes yeah, you're working with. And of course, your own running. Um, and you're always welcome to visit us out in Lusk uh, if you're up North County Dublin. We way. might get out for a run with you someday. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll bring it to Ardgillen for a hill session. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks a million, Emmett. Thanks, Thanks Emmett. Fair play to you. Really brilliant advice, as always, from Emmett. I've added the website link for perfect pacing in the episode notes, so do check it out. Next up, Julie's interview with Sheila Burke. Hi, Sheila. You're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks for agreeing to chat to us. You're a very well-known member of the club and you have multiple roles in Lost KC, such as your current role as ladies track and field captain. And you've also, I believe, coached 5K groups and Fit for Life groups, for example. That's right. Thanks for having me, Julie. Um, yeah, I am the track and field captain and um, I love it. Uh, it's a very rewarding role when you see people taking on track for the first time. And also I have uh, coach some fit for life groups and uh, 5k improve your time groups as well yeah so, so quite a variety of different things yeah. so we'll talk about those in, in a bit but just tell us a bit about yourself so who is the women behind the runner who is Sheila as a person um I am um, I'm living in Donabate and yeah. married to Philip with two kids Matthew and Lily Matthew's 12 and Lily's eight and just very busy with them I work for Aer Lingus I've been there for the last 23 years I'm cabin crew with them um, so that keeps me busy as well. But um, yeah, and outside of that, I'm usually running. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and does yeah. your husband run as well? He um, was injured for a long time. Um, he played rugby all his life yeah. and the gym and that. And he was running for a while and then he had problems with his knee. And um, he's back running now again. So yeah. we've been out. I've been out doing short runs with him. So he's getting back to running. Yeah. 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 I've seen. I've seen some of the runs that you've done with him on Strava. Yeah. And it right. looks like he's kind of building himself. He's up building, to and it's great for me because I I do my easy runs with him. So it's like it's a win win. Yeah. 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 Does he have ambitions to to do anything with the running? No. It's really just for cardio. Just yeah. for cardio, because I said he does do the gym a lot. So it's just yeah. to, to get the heart beating get a bit faster. Rate. Yeah. Um, so tell me how you first got involved in the club and athletics in general. Like where, when did you start running? When did you start getting involved? Oh, well, I didn't run at all as a child or in school or anything like that. Um, the first time I ran was um, Philip was doing a, he was part of a running group in, in, in where he worked, Airgrid, and they have a big running group. And they decided they were going to do the Dublin City Marathon. And uh, this was back in 2007. It's before we yeah. were even married or anything. And um, I said, God, I'd be mad to do a marathon, you know. And my best pal was, well, why don't we do a marathon? Yeah. Like, um, OK. So it was almost like a, sure, why not? We'll do this. And this was in June, actually. And sure, we were mad looking up um, online plans. And um, yeah. like, we weren't in a running club. We hadn't a clue. The We actually hadn't a clue, like, you know, yeah. um, with... <laughs> You know, with fancy runners, we didn't have a watch. We never knew what pace we were going. It didn't even occur yeah. to us, any of that. But back then, it was just kind of simpler times. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, did all our training, did the marathon and loved the day. Like, yeah. it was a great day. Did it in just over five hours. And it was great because it was um, Philip and my uh, best pal did it as well. So, there was, yeah. you know, we really enjoyed it. But So, is that um, where you, when you caught the bug? No, no. complete opposite. <laughs> I, I didn't run again for nine years because it just wasn't for me at all. Like, I, I, it was more to do it and just for the whole to take that box or whatever yeah um but no it, it de definitely didn't ignite any passion for running in me at, at yeah. all yeah um so then i got married to kids and um started then when my youngest was two i said you know i was starting something for myself so i started going out and doing a few park runs and uh that kind of thing and yeah through that, I, I kind of realised, oh God, I kind of like this shorter running, yeah. you know. And um, I used to see Lusk AC there and I got to know Hazel and um, 
Sean and they were in Lusk and they said why don't you come along and I said sure I'll come along and see how I get on and I, this was in 2018 yeah um so that's how it happened I went along and just fit it straight in and really yeah. you know everyone was so friendly and welcoming and um the following week I bought a vest and the following three weeks later I did my first race you know yeah. that kind of way so wow. kind of so escalated quickly yeah stuck in straight away <laughs> yeah yeah I really did yeah. Yeah. yeah and you've kind of stuck with the 5k as your area of specialty you know yeah. what, what is it about yeah. that that distance that works for you I think it's I just know my strengths so I have done other distances um shorter on the track and um, yeah. longer as well I have I've gone up to half marathon and I've yeah. gone up to um 10 miles yeah. 10k oh, it just um I just I just prefer the 5k for the training I like the short stuff and yeah. um then the shorter again I'm not a sprinter by any means so yeah. I'll do the the short sprinty stuff but it, it's not what I'm you know, better at. Um, I think it just it just works for me. I think it's just the right amount of race time that I can endure. And um, like as I said, I have done other distances, but five is it's just my personal preference. preference. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. And do you think you'll start increasing the distance? I did um, last year, and I no, I did, and I trained for a 10k. I did a 10k, and like it was great, but I kind of ticked that box and I said, no, that's grand. I'll just go back to the 5k's now. You know, yeah. Um, and it, it's just and it's just what I enjoy you know yeah yeah okay because yeah. I mean you are very fast you're uh, one of the fastest women in the club um, I'm sure many listeners would love to know how you have achieved that and you know how long it took you to get there so you, I mean you're yeah. you know under 20 minutes now yeah no do you easily. know like um it was just just keep chipping away like I mean I remember like my first park run was 29 minutes and I'll never forget the day I got under 25 I was so happy you know yeah. and um it was around that time then I joined Lusk and then my route my running improved dramatically yeah. because basically I was doing proper structured training and um, I really think you, you should train in blocks like you cannot keep that up year round you know yeah. so find a, a goal a race to focus on and then go from there so I would say be consistent in that yeah. training block like do your training do your yeah. hard sessions and um, do your long run, but run your long run really slow. Okay. Like, I think that's where I was, I was doing all my running at the same pace. Yeah. And I, you know, that's fine, you know, but you're not going to improve your speed by doing that. Okay. And also your easy runs, recovery runs, really run them easy. Yeah. You know, a day after hard session, go out and do a nice, real slow run. Yeah. And I wouldn't have done that before. I'd have gone out and trying to hammer out another 5K, you know. Um, and also uh, run with people who are faster than you. Like, yeah. I think that was a big thing for, for me running in a group um, and chasing rather yeah. than leading, you know, um, is is definitely has helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, and it, when you say training blocks, what do you mean by that? Like take a six or eight week training okay. block. Yeah, yeah. Take, say, I have a race, say, in July. So yeah. work back six or eight weeks. However, it yeah. depends where your fitness is at um, and, and go from there and like do like set out a plan. I'm going to do two hard sessions, a long run and an easy run or whatever, yeah. or a bit of cross training if you're going to the gym but um and stick to it if you can now yeah. that can change because i mean i have i do very early starts i do late finishes yeah. so you have to tweak it to to suit your life as yeah. well but in general but you couldn't keep that up year around junior you yeah. know so just yeah. do it for and then have your target do your race or whatever it is and then i go back to my easy just going out and enjoying my yeah. and i usually take the summer off like um just because it's too hot to be yeah to be out it's um, very hard in the, humi yeah. the humidity and the heat it's humidity yeah i struggle killer. with it yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. I usually I, do, I tend not to race too much during the summer yeah um but um you know it's nice to have a goal especially before you go on holidays or something just to draw a line under that you know yeah, yeah. because i suppose some people who are new to run there i know some people that i run with would think you have to keep the training up every single week me personally i can't keep that tempo up year the whole year long you know i will do a few blocks a year but I definitely give myself a few easy weeks in between. And yeah. then you're, you're gearing up to different things because we have cross country, we mm. have then the track, we have, um, you know, it depends what time of the year it is. And then all summer long, people will in the club be starting their, their Dublin City Marathon training. Yeah. So um, they'll be building up their mileage and I'll do a few longer runs with them. Yeah. Um, like and do a cut off, like I'll do 10K, they could be doing 20K with them, you know, just yeah. to keep up the, the group running, you know, yeah. but um no, I, I think you'd be exhausted if you were to... Kept training consistently. Yeah, hard every, way, every week, yeah, all week. Yeah, yeah. And you know how you said, just a minute ago, you said something about running, your easy runs are very easy. Yeah. I think 
I think people find that hard. You know, you start running and you just think, you look down at the watch and, you know, my easy run should probably be around 6'10", 6'15", yeah. but like then I looked at him like 5'15", oops. Yeah, you see <laughs> you that. kind of gather speed a bit, you know. Yeah, it's it's really hard to keep them slow, you know, yeah. and I see it, then I watch my pace afterwards and you can see where yeah. you sped up, but yeah. if you can, for me now, this is all personal experience, I find that it's it's time on the legs, it's yeah. uh, for aerobic fitness, yeah. um, it's, it's really good um, because you do your hard sessions and you are yeah. out, um, putting in the fast uh, the fast times but um, I think it, it is hard and especially for the long slow run I do up to like 10 max 12k yeah. and it is hard to, to keep that slow to keep that slow yeah and yeah. sometimes I'm just like oh here get this done you yeah. know just go out and do <laughs> it. it yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I go faster I'll finish faster exactly <laughs> exactly yeah 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 so tell us a bit about um track and field and what that is or involved for people that don't really, you know, wouldn't be too familiar with track and field and how yeah. you became the, the captain of that. Yeah, um, track and field is basically running, throwing and jumping and um, it can happen indoors or outdoors. Yeah. And, um, and I wasn't long in the club when there was a few of the girls doing the combined events in Athlone. It was the national combined events and that involves hurdles, shot put, high jump, long jump and 800 metres. So I trained for that with them and yeah. that was brilliant because I got to try all the different events. Um, unfortunately, I got injured oh, on my okay. first. Yeah, it yeah. was all going great. Uh, I got over my third hurdle and my, my tore my calf. Actually, no, there was oh. a weakness there. But yeah. anyway, um, so that put an end to my hurdling days. Yeah. But actually had a great day and, you know, the girls did so well. Um, so that kind of kind of got me interested in the club or, or in the track. But I kind of realised, you know what, I'll stick to the running. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so um, I really got into it through relays. We're doing 100 metre, 200 metre, 400 metre relays. Loved yeah. that now. Yeah. And that kind of gives you a taste of the track. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were going to Leinster National Events doing that. Really loved it now. Uh, great days out because yeah. uh, great fun. Like, And then you're there supporting everyone else who's there, you know. Yeah. So it's a good old day out. Um, and then because of that, then I'd be there watching the 1500 metres and 3000 metres. Like, oh, I could do that now. You know, I do it and, and I enjoy it um, yeah. and um, the training, you know, you need to train. It's a different type of training like it is. It's fast, you know, yeah. but um, really enjoy that as well. So yeah. um, because of that, then um, I think I, at the time I was trying to get the relay teams together, it was kind of I knew who was interested and who wasn't. Um, Nicole asked me to be the track and field captain. So yeah. that kind of. <laughs> People see me come and they turn the opposite way. She's going to ask me to do a relay. You know? But um, yeah, so that's really how it happened. And, it, you know, a lot of people can hammer out a, a fast yeah. to 400. It's not yeah. about how fast you can do a 5K or a 10K yeah. or a marathon. Yeah. You find that you'd be surprised at people now. We've had um, a couple of new girls come and join us and they're brilliant. Like, yeah. you know, and they're loving it too because it's, it's, it's kind of exciting. Yeah. You know, and you're, it's it's. You know, in athletics, it's a very um, individual type of a sport, yeah. whereas this, it's, it's great to be part of a team. Yeah. So you're, you're running your hardest for your team. Yeah. You know, you're passing that baton and, and um, you know, you're, you're, it's, that's, it, that's why it's extra exciting, I think, yeah. um, because it's the team element yeah. to it. So if people wanted to get involved, would they, how would they go about it? Would they come to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Come to me. Um, and then the Colin McNally is the, is the male captain. But come to either one of us. And, um, do you know, like, don't be afraid of it. Just yeah. come and do a bit of the training. Yeah. It's, um, it's really is great fun. And it's, it's short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? I always think of it as, you know, kind of younger people. But it's not yeah. at all, is it? But no, you see, yeah. that's it. It's, um, there's the Masters event. So you're running like for yeah, like. So yeah. we're running against people our own age, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. which is like for like at the yeah. end of the day, you know, so definitely. Yeah, great. So I know you're one of the four female um, Lofsky C members that completed the Athletics Ireland Forerunners programme. Yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about that and kind of what you took from the experience and the learnings you got from it. That was brilliant. Um, that was with Lillianne yeah. or uh, who you were chatting yeah. to before. Yeah. Um, the, so basically it was just trying to promote women in sport and women in athletics and myself mm. and uh, Nicole and Ash and Orla did that. Yeah. And it was a great experience. Now, the only thing about it was we did one class all together um, and then COVID hit. So mm. it was such a shame. Everything else then was online after that. But it was lovely. We had a lovely group. I got to know so many people and connections with other clubs and yeah. everybody's just trying to do their best for women in the club and, um, you know, um, promote women in, in in leadership roles and coaching roles yeah and um yeah it was brilliant yeah. and because of that i've got other opportunities came my way then 
Um, she, okay. Lily Ann asked me if I wanted to do the training midlife women coaching program. She knew I was involved in training masters women. Yeah. So um, I did that course as well. And uh, that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's just, okay. it, you know, just things. It's, it's nice to do something you're actually interested in, you know. Yeah. 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 So that was actually one of my questions about oh, yeah. those sort of training. Yeah. What, you know, what were the sort of big learnings from that then in terms of training midlife women? Yeah, I suppose you have to accept that it's an inevitable stage of life and um, kind of go with it and try and get through it the best you can. You know, what I learned really is that um, rest and recovery after hard sessions um, is so important that, you know, you might have been grand the next day before, but now it might take you a couple of days to to get over a hard session. Um, So just go with it and plan your training to fit in with your life rather Mm. than um, going, I have to stick to this plan, just be adaptable. Um, and also a big, big thing got out of it was lifting weights. Okay. Yeah, so important, yeah. like heavy weights, but low yeah. rep, low reps, um, which um, at the moment I'm not doing, but I do plan to go back to. Um, and that's for your bones and your muscles, yeah. just because we're all, you know, prone to osteoporosis and everything. And, and then nutrition and supplements, you got to just watch what you're eating and, you know, just being conscious of what you need now yeah. because it's a different stage of life. Yeah. But it, apparently a third of women going through the menopause, um, completely give up um, exercise and sport, yeah. you, you yeah. know. So that's that's a high number of women. Yeah. So it's try and kind of combat that um, to encourage people, women to stick with it. And um, especially in the, the running club, like uh, yeah. there's so many different levels. I mean, you can go out and go for a walk if you want, you yeah, know, like, exactly. in, you know, it, yeah. there's always somebody doing something. Yeah, but yeah. The, the, the GP that we had on, Carmel Hutchinson, she you know, said that it's actually good for you if you're, you know, it's actually helps, yeah. you know, with your bone density, yeah. running and, you know, doing all the strength Being and nutrition, etc. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, if you're ahead as help. well, you know. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously the nutrition and, you know, the... The strength and conditioning is important as well. Yeah. So if people are kind of sitting there thinking, I, I actually wouldn't mind being a coach, you know, what what do they need to kind of, um, you know, what do they need to do to become a coach within yeah. an athletics club? I think the a big thing is uh, volunteering, first mm. of all, um, often on a Tuesday night, they're looking for just people to help the coaches. Yeah. So if you could get involved with that, um, just helping out. I mean, the coach will tell you exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, and then you'll kind of see yourself if you're interested or not. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I mean, it's so rewarding. It really is. Yeah. Um, I started with the Fit for Life and um, it was kind of coincident at the same time an assistant coaching course came up. So I did that. Yeah. And then I went straight into Fit for Life. So it was great to have the knowledge behind me going yeah. into to coaching, especially adults, because yeah. it's easy. I, I coach my daughter's GAA and... Um, you know, it's e- I don't say it's easy, but, um, you know, it's more natural to yeah. be teaching kids, but, but adults, um, just to try and help them and yeah. um, most importantly, make it fun. And yeah. that they, because, you know, they won't come back if, yeah. they, if they're not enjoying it. You know? And for, like, for example, for the Fit for Life, was there, were you given a program that you then coached or is there, is yeah, that how it works? There is a program, but yeah. you kind of, you find that the, 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 they are, they're actually moving a lot quicker than the program. Yeah. So you kind of adapt it a bit. So you yeah. said, oh, walk for a minute, whatever, run for. You find they're moving much quicker than that. They move yeah. along the stages much quicker. So you go with it. Like yeah. we had started with a 10 or 12 week course. It was way too long to get yeah. to 5K. So we'd bring it back a bit because yeah. they're already getting up. It was brilliant yeah. like because they're coming twice a week and they're doing their own runs the weekend and then we have the little graduation at uh, the park the park run park run on the beach yeah 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 and then the next time i did then we did the, the kind of people who had done it before but they want to improve their time they were easily yeah. running uh, 5k so i actually did that plan with them i ran with them and did it oh, all great. it was brilliant yeah. yeah so that was um, a really enjoyable one now because yeah. um, we were all in it together kind yeah, of you know yeah yeah, yeah. And how is that different, you know, teaching the Fit for Life versus coaching for 5K? Was it similar or, or different? Yeah, um, different because um, they had the bug at that stage. They were completely invested now and they're running and they wanted, you know, at yeah. the start, it's just about completing a 5K. Yeah. But then it was about bettering their yeah, best the time, you know, which is fun. Like, you know, yeah. and I think every single one of them um, did in the end. Yeah, we went over to Malahide Park Run that time. And the next time then we did the Rathfarnham 5K that was last um that was last september so yeah, yeah just yeah. it's just good to have goals you know yeah yeah, yeah. so have, are they stayed within the 5k or some of them moved on to no, longer distances oh my, i have fit for lifers from 2019 who are doing marathons now yeah, yeah, yeah. which is just amazing yeah. it's brilliant to see like yeah. that's nothing makes me happier to see someone 
from, you know, who was struggling at the start to see yeah. them out loving their running yeah. and um, out, you know, like, and it's it's just brilliant to see. Yeah. Your protégés yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Jesus, <laughs> and I'm not the only one doing it. There's loads of people doing the, the Fit for Life, but just yeah. to see, you know, the ones, and you do, you all get on great with each other and it's lovely to, to see, um, especially when they go on to like marathons and stuff, you're like, yeah. wow, yeah, that's amazing. Like, you yeah. Know? And yeah. so you volunteered for loads of things, you know, you've volunteered yeah, you... for like, what, what is it you get out of volunteering? So you're also ob- obviously volunteering with your, um, did you say your daughter's GAE yeah, as well? Yeah. So, you know, what is it that you get from the volunteering? I don't know. I just, I just like it. I just think it's, uh, I don't know. Um, I enjoy it. I, I get a lot out of it as in it's I find it rewarding and yeah. um for my daughter like I wasn't like I'm from Tipperary but um I wouldn't have been like I was so not sporty as a kid yeah. um I wouldn't have been playing camogie or football or anything yeah. but now I love it with her and it's yeah. it's it's just um to be down there with her and yeah. um her her matches every weekend and yeah. you know it's just it's lovely to be part for her um because my husband coaches my son so he's there for him but um yeah I suppose it's just it's just all we know now in the house. We're yeah. just on the go. Uh, but at the club, if I can help out, I will. Now, I work every second weekend. So if I can't, I, yeah. I won't like volunteer. But um, I just see all the all the effort that goes in behind the scenes. Yeah. And if, if you can help make that a bit easier for, yeah. you know, the committee or whoever it is. Um, yeah, I think the club in general, they're very good. People are very good to volunteer at different things. There's always something going on, you see. Yeah. There's yeah. always something to volunteer for. Yeah, so you, I, I I thought you were a bit of a superwoman before, but now yeah. having listened to you, I'm really in Stop. awe of all the things that no, you do. No, no, no. You know, I think we're all busy. We're all like hamsters on the wheel. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. But how think... do you juggle it all? So you're, you know, you're you're coaching, you're helping, you know, out in different areas, and you're running yourself, you're racing, you're working, you're looking after family. <laughs> oh no! Gosh. Do you ever sit down in front of the TV? Yeah. <laughs> I just go to bed. I'm just wrecked. Yeah. 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 Do you yeah. ever have downtime for yourself? Oh God, I do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe I'm. Yeah sound and make myself sound a bit busier than I actually am um no I definitely am well able to sit down and relax and yeah. chill out and do you know and actually that's another reason why I like the shorter distances because yeah. when you go out and train you're gone for an hour like I yeah. ne- like rarely train long train longer for an hour yeah um and then you're out and home generally I'll either run yeah. in Lost on a bit or if I'm away with work I uh, um transatlantic I will run while I'm away so that's that that run done you know yeah. so I try and make the most of my time yeah I'm not great I get up early for work, so I'm not great at getting up early for runs. Yeah. Um, so um, I try and get them done while the kids are at school, you know, yeah. during the day or whatever. But yeah. I think I think everybody's busy. I really do think, you see, everyone I know is just trying to juggle everything and spin and plates all at once, you yeah. know. And yeah. the running is a bit of me time where you yeah, can just absolutely. switch off a little bit. And God, it's as good for your head as anything else, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so what's next? You smashed a sub twenty minute five k. Um, do you have any other athletic goals for yourself in the future? Um, yeah, I'm training at the moment for um, I have a race next week, and um, I'm coming to the end of the training block. Thank God. Yeah, <laughs> taper week next week. Yeah. Um, that's Kilcock five k. So okay. I'm, looking, I'm very close to a, a sub nineteen. So it'll happen if it happens it happens if if it doesn't happen like yeah. it, i'm not going to lose any sleep um yeah. so it'd be nice do you know because yeah. every time you get a sub something you're like i'm happy now and i genuinely was so happy with the sub 20 i was like grand yeah. you know i'll retire now you yeah. know are you worried about the heat and the humidity yeah like to be honest i am and oh i, ju- I don't know what can you do everybody's in mm. the same boat in the race you know yeah. we're all suffering the same yeah so what can you do it's yeah. just it's just the time of the year and um i think just take a few weeks months off yeah during yeah. the summer because i'm just not able for it you know and uh, what's that course like is it relatively flat is it yes nice apparently so because every race i've done recently has been hilly and hot so yeah. i'm just <laughs> over the hills now at this stage yeah. literally <laughs> but um and i go into a new age category this year so um that means i'll be the youngest in it rather than the oldest okay, yeah. that I'm now. so it's the only yeah. time you don't mind getting a bit older is uh, yeah in athletics to go into a new age category yeah very yeah. good, very good. So, um, yeah, I think we've covered off a lot of the questions, some great stuff there. Um, so I'm just going to finish with a few quickfire questions. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> There's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, very, so let's start off with a very simple one. Like, what would you typically do in terms of kilometres in a, in, a, in a training week for you? Oh, sorry, no, I should have thought about this. Uh, 30, maybe? 30. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, if you could do a 5K race anywhere in the world, where would you love to run? 
Oh, Australia. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been there? Loads of times. Yeah. yeah. My brother yeah. lives in Australia. I just love it. Yeah. 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 All right. Great. Yeah. Um, do you have a, like a mantra or a trick when the going gets tough? Um, honest to God, the quicker you do it, the quicker it will be done. Honestly, yeah. when it's in a race, just, you know, just keep going. Uh, yeah. The quicker you like is in, just try and focus. And in a 5K, it's pretty quick anyway. Yeah. So that's why I found when I did the 10K, I just found it. Oh, my God. This is <laughs> like I get to 5K, my legs just go, OK, yeah. that's it. We'll stop. Um, but no. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just say, come on now, just cop on and just keep going. Just you keep know? going. Yeah. Not long to go yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would be your favourite post-run reward? Oh, uh, I think everybody knows me. It'd be something, something alcoholic anyway, yeah. either a beer. I love a beer after yeah. a race, if possible. Yeah. Um, uh, or a glass of wine that evening. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, whatever's in the goodie bag, if there's a goodie bag. Yeah. Um, if not, something boring like, oh, chocolate milk, actually. Chocolate milk. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, good bit of protein in that. Yeah. Um, so what would you do if someone gifted you a ticket for the Dublin City Marathon? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I'd try and probably <laughs> sell it to Thais Miller. Um, yeah. I don't know. I couldn't do the training. No. I'd do the day. Yeah. Um, I'd honestly, God, like as the marathon I did, I loved the day. But yeah. that training is just too, no, just not for me. Yeah. Um, God, I give it to you, Julie. Yeah. You have one, haven't you? <laughs> have yeah, one. you have one. Give it to Darren. He's, he's got one. He's got one too. Yeah, yeah. you're okay. going to be stuck with oh, it now. God. Oh, I'm stuck with it. <laughs> Just never right. say never. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and the last one is, if you couldn't run, what other sport would you do? Um, do, 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 do. I suppose I should say GAA, but I'm kind of scared of the ball. So <laughs> um, <laughs> that's in, in Camogie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose I'd give football a go, the yeah, Gaelic. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would, I'd After. give it a go. Yeah, After coaching, yeah. you're standing yeah, on the sidelines yeah, it's, and thinking. It's, it's good fun and, you know, um, it's, you know, it's, yeah, I would. I think I'd do that. Back to the team sport. And yeah, the team definitely. Camaraderie and stuff definitely, like that. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It was really interesting. Thanks a million, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate your support and hope you enjoyed the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Emmett Dunleavy and Sheila Burke, and all the team that are working on the Lost Gacy podcast, Colin Brown, Julie Griffith, Nicole Hodson, Dwayne Moore, Sean Smith and Colin Wall. We really hope you're enjoying your athletics over the summer months. All the best from Los Casey.